The reason I asked Sebastian to share is because of just, well, it'll be a blessing. And I think it's part of his calling, but also listening to the fruit that he's experiencing in his life. He mentions me more than I'm comfortable with. Just so we have a joke around here. It's like everybody wants Sebastian to follow them around all day because he makes you feel good about yourself. Um, but anyway, I have appreciated how he and his family have engaged the word, picked up this concept of heart transformation and take it, taken it seriously and is seeing fruit. If you're not seeing it, don't beat yourself up. Don't get upset. You know, use this as a source of inspiration and, and, a, and a, you know, a testimony of righteousness of what the word of God can do in a heart that takes it seriously. Not that you're not taking it seriously, but again, it's like this. How do you express? How do you explain to people how to engage the word of God to have an encounter with him inwardly and allow that spirit to bring transformation in so many different areas. It's what, it's what this place exists for. It's what I desire to see as a minister. And it was just so encouraging to me. I thought it would be encouraging it for you as well. He's got a message in here that's great. Uh, and you get to meet his family all along the way, which is sweet. So come on up here and show him a little bit of love as he makes his way up here. He's a... Uh, he has his Captain America shirt on and his cowboy boots. So, thank you. When I was, and, and my belt, cowboy belt. When I was uh, six years old in Zambia, uh, my mom gave me a book on cowboys, and uh, I decided I'm going to be a cowboy in Zambia, which is tough for my mom because now she's got to get me cowboy gear in Zambia. And uh, man, it took her like years. The gloves were the toughest part. You know, Zambia gloves, not a big thing. It's not that cold. And so anyway, uh, yeah, so I'm so glad to be here in America. Uh, this is my first uh, attempt at being a cowboy. And I'm working my way up to the hat. And uh, I saw that 10 gallon hat over there. That's, oh, that's awesome, I love that. When you walked in, I'm just like, oh, that is a cool hat. <laughs> so, <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, uh, I'm a bit uh, distracted because as Clint started, uh, he spoke about the name of Jesus, and it's not just, you know, there's like so many nuggets that I am like taking down notes even before my, like what I'm going to share, and I'm just like reeling on what he just said, like that uh, the name of Jesus isn't just J-E-S-U-S, so Yeshua, there's no, no J in Hebrew, it's not Isho in like one of the Indian languages is not Isa in Arabic. It's the authority of the name. It's just what that means. That's just, that's a whole sermon in itself. So thank you. God bless you. I'm going to sit. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, guest speaker guidelines. Uh, they say that you usually start with the fumbling of your AV. And you say, am I on? If you're like a, one of these big name preachers, you end up in heaven. You say, am I in? <laughs> like a mega church person. Am I in? Whoa, I made it. Um, or you try and recover with an opening joke. In my first, uh, I uh, spoke earlier. I forgot my opening joke, but I caught, I like, uh, like recovered uh, later. But now I, I did remember it. And so, uh, so there's this kid, and he doesn't want to go to church. And his mom says, "You got to go to church." And he says, "I want to go to church. Nobody at church likes me, and the, and the elders hate me." And the mom says, "Son, you're 46 years old, and you're the pastor." <laughs> so, oh. yeah, I recovered. <laughs> so. <laughs> How we view God profoundly shapes our life and its outcomes. That's a big statement. 
It's, uh, there's a whole bunch of prepositions in there, presuppositions. There's kind of views of the world. It's a world view, right? And here's reality. All of us are wearing glasses. You just don't know it yet. And those of you who do know you're wearing glasses, you can wave it in the air, right? There you go. <laughs> but all of us are wearing glasses. We're all looking at the world through a certain perspective. The problem with these glasses, of course, is they crack, they faded, there's filters, and not like cool Instagram filters, right? They just like mess up our view of reality and of ourselves. And so if you can see there, I'm going to start off with a kind of a, a, a brief snippet from the book of John, where Nathaniel Bartlemeo, the tax collector, IRS guy, and uh, he comes to Jesus. Imagine the IRS comes to Jesus. <laughs> he says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that's quite a powerful statement, right? There's a whole lot into it, and not just about taxes. But when you're under the fig tree, and the fig tree speaks of the law, right? And so there's the two trees, the tree of grace, life in, in Eden, and then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not the tree of evil, so it's not a marijuana tree, right? <laughs> and, and I can say, you know, coming from, uh, from Seattle, Washington, where they've legalized the stuff, right? So this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? The knowledge of good and evil speaks of the law. And so here's Nathaniel who's under the law, right? He's been under the law. And Jesus says, when you were under the law, I saw you, right? So Jesus has the clearest, most accurate pair of glasses there is, right? And how do we respond to that? What is our view of Jesus? How do we behold him and how are we transformed? There's a worldview, the definition. It's a comprehensive perspective from which we interpret all of reality. Everything that you see comes from the glasses that you're wearing. A worldview consists of posing and answering three questions, and this is by Tim Keller, who's this uh, famous uh, Christian apologist out of New York. And he says, three questions. How are things supposed to be? What are the main problems with things as they are now? And what's the solution? How do I get from here, where I am now, to where I want to be? There are three fundamental questions that all of us struggle with, right? What are the three things that uh, everybody prays for help when they, when, you know, the pastor calls for folk to come to the front? You're asking for, like, health, wealth, or love. Like, that's all of our challenges, right? Health, you've got a sickness, uh, you're struggling with some illness or something, and you need healing. Wealth, you're broke, and you need money and a job, whatever. And love, if you're single, you need a spouse, and if you're married, please, Lord, help me not kill my spouse, right? <laughs> True? And so, how do we appropriate God's grace, God's love, for us, like, how do we solve this problem? I'm going to go into a bit about worldviews. So, what is this view? Worldview influences personal meaning, values, and the way people think and act. So, if you change a person's worldview, you change their values and their outcomes in life because you're changing how they think and they act. Three big words there: liberty, equality, fraternity. I'm not French speaking, so I won't do it in, in French. And these were foundational statements by Robespierre, one of the uh, architects of the French Revolution, completely transformed Europe and this big seminal idea as we know it in 1790. But coming closer to home, these ideas, these presuppositions, these things that we believe to be true have massive consequences. Abraham Lincoln at the, uh, at the Gettysburg Address, he says these amazing statements, right? He says that all men are created equal. Found, found like amazing idea. Right? And yes, it's in the Constitution, but he's reiterating it to a broken nation four months after 
The Union soldiers have defeated the Confederates, and he's bringing about healing. And he's saying these incredibly powerful statements. And he says that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. That the government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. Like, what a foundational statement that is. And, and you must think, just, you know, this is in 1863. So France that had come up with these, you know, liberty, equality, fraternity, they have descended back into monarchy, Napoleon III, the, the nephew of Napoleon I, he's, he's emperor, he's made himself emperor. So that experiment has collapsed. So the US is, you know, last man standing, right? <laughs> this is it, right? And he, he, he stitches the nation together with these powerful words. Sometimes we think that these statements have to be in constitutions written. They can be speeches or poems. Here's another poem that you'll see at the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, tempestos to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's Emma Lazarus, a Jewish-American poet who writes these words that you find in the Statue of Liberty. And that, again, like a, a, a powerful idea that, you know, this is not about the best and the brightest. Give me your lowest and your least and watch what freedom will do. Freedom brings out the best and the brightest. Amen. That is incredible, right? That's an, that's, that's an amazing concept. And, and Emma Lazarus, as, as uh, a Jewish person, understands this, coming from just the, the brokenness of Europe and centuries of persecution. And even, the, and even her last name, Lazarus. Right? You know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man thinks he's going to get to heaven. And guess who's there? It's Lazarus, the least, the beggar with sores on his hands and feet. Yeah, so, brothers and sisters. <laughs> But just one aside, right? So, you know, and I hadn't said this in the, in the earlier one, but, you know, the comic industry was created by Jewish immigrants, right? How crazy is that? It was Jerry Spiegel who uh, created Superman. Bob Kane, Cohen, they changed their names to avoid being, you know, uh, detected as Jews. Uh, Bob Kane created Batman. Um, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, Kurtzenberg, <laughs> created uh, Captain America and Iron Man and all the rest. And, and Stan Lee, Stan Lieberman. <laughs> That was his real name, right? <laughs> yeah. right? So all these folk understood something really powerful. That you can come through brokenness like a Superman and arrive like a Moses figure in a basket or a spaceship, arrive in a new, a new, on a new planet, unfamiliar. You could be uh, a Bruce Wayne and see your whole family killed in front of you. Right? Think, think the Holocaust, right? You could be uh, Spider-Man and be like a, a total schmuck, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, right? and have these transformative events. Captain America, you can be a weakling, and these transformative events, and this is what freedom does, right? It transforms us. Because who were we before? Brothers and sisters, think of yourselves, right? Think of what you were when you were called. Not many were wise by human standards. I certainly wasn't. I was a failure at university. It was only after I got saved that I started passing, right? And that, yeah, praise God. <laughs> Not many of you were influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, and things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast in him. How amazing is that? It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That's our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, all these great things. We get to wear the t-shirt, right? Which <laughs> I did this morning. <laughs> Ask my wife. You're sure it's washed, right? <laughs> like I, I have, this is what I want to wear today. <laughs> so, but what's stopping us, right? 
So we've got all of these like presuppositions, but out there, there are these Christianese worldviews. And let's just take an example, like when you're weathering a storm, right? What are some of the, the, the Christianese that you've been exposed to before you came to Forward? Right? And, and I know that you're sitting here and you're receiving amazing truth from Clint. Amen. But what were the kind of the, the thoughts and beliefs that you had before you came here? What, who was the Jesus that, that you thought you knew? Was it the uh, suck it up surgeon Jesus when you're going through a crisis or storm? Says so uh, maybe Jesus sent, or even worse, he allows, right? Allowing is worse than sending. Like when, when Jesus, when your dad, like, takes your finger and puts, you, puts your finger into the plug or whether he allows you to do it, right? Both are equally bad, right? And he allows, sends or allows the storm to refine me and build character. So you're struggling here, but hey, it's building character. Right? Suck it up. Yeah, give me another 10, right? <laughs> right? Is that the Jesus that we think, the surgeon Jesus, military drill sergeant? Or what about it's your fault, Jesus, the, the principal from, uh, from high school, right? It's your fault. You're responsible for the storm, so you've got to pay the consequence. You've got to pay the price, right? That's just how it works. Karma, right? Or what about, I'm, I'm in church, so I'll say shift happens, <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? Teddy bear Jesus. We live in a fallen world, and didn't he say we'll have trouble? Except the problem with the, the word trouble is translated, it's actually trials and tribulations, it's persecution. It's not, you know, my car got stuck, right? But anyway, storms happen, and Jesus will comfort us as we're going through it, like a teddy bear. You know, you're drowning, instead of lifeguard, I got my teddy bear, and I'm just like drowning. <laughs> yeah, that's not very helpful, right? <laughs> I want a lifeguard who will like rescue me, right? Or what about my favorite case, Ra, Sra, Jesus, Mysterio Jesus. If you're watching uh, Spider-Man, you know, the, the, the villain Mysterio. So all mysterious, his ways are above us, right? His ways are above our ways. Have you heard that, right, from the sermons? Uh, if it's God's will, maybe he'll heal us, but maybe he won't. Who knows? <laughs> right? If it's his will that I suffer, then I'll just suffer. Right? How many of you have heard of that Jesus? Right? You know, uh, I was sharing this in the, in the earlier service. When I was uh, 21, we'd just been in South Africa. We'd moved from Zambia to South Africa, you know, part of South Africa uh, when I was eight years old. And 12 years later, my dad dies at, when I'm 21, and I just got my mom and my sister you know, who's just gone, you know, just finished high school, gone into university, and, and here I am. And we've got no family in the country. We're pretty much alone. And what do we do, right? And we've just gotten saved, become Christian. And so how do you kind of reconcile? How do you weather that storm? Uh, two years ago, my uh, brother-in-law here in Noonan, is 21 years old, uh, is a youth pastor, just all out for God, uh, FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes pastor is like, you know, leading kids to the Lord, um, active, just got a, you know, it's a great job, sport a house, you know, life is going well and he commits suicide. Uh, like tragically, you know, just uh, sets himself alight in his car, just how do you reconcile that, right? How do you weather a storm? Why did Jesus allow this? Or, or, What's the biblical view? What's, what's the biblical Jesus? Who allows what, right? How does Jesus respond to a tragedy, right? When the, when the woman comes to him and she spent all her money and she's bleeding for 12 years and she comes to Jesus, what's the Jesus that she sees? Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. 
Isn't that the Jesus of the Bible? Right? Every person that came to Jesus? Right? So what gives? If he's given us his divine power and he's bestowed it on us, absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So he's given us his divine power. He's bestowed, he's given it to us. Absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic and spiritual life. He's given us for life and godliness. One, right? 2 Peter 1.3 Through a true and personal knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and excellence then who's allowing what? Uh, that's my kids on the right. That's one of my kids are the one that are like, amazing. That's just an actress on the other side. <laughs> that's uh, Olivia and Anna. So what's stopping us? What's holding us back? That's the White House. There's these bars in front of us. There's the king's throne. The Bible says, boldly come, in Hebrews 4, boldly come before the throne of grace to receive Mercy and grace in time of need. We want to get in there. We want to get into the king's throne. There's these barriers stopping us. Like, what's stopping us? Right? Is it our works? We're not praying enough, fasting enough, not on the treadmill long enough? Like, like what's, why aren't we able to appropriate and receive everything that is given us? I want to suggest that potentially there's a veil. And the weird thing about veils are they, they lie to us. Their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it's removed in Christ. These glasses we're talking about, this worldviews, kind of the bad filters, the cracks, the lenses that are distorted, disfigured. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. It's a crazy thing about legalism, right? Crazy thing about rules and institutions that seek to, to bind us. The Bible says he's come to set us free. It's freedom. Amen. Amen. It's freedom that releases us and transforms us. But every time Moses is read, a veil lies over our heart and prevents us from seeing and receiving everything that God has for us. So what does that mean? How do we drop the mask? Because the verse continues in 1 Corinthians 3.16, but whenever a person turns to the Lord the veil is taken away. So when you turn to Jesus, when you look at him, suddenly that veil drops. Right? That's quite amazing. It doesn't take any self-effort on our part. Right? It doesn't take you know, tough slogging it out there. So what are these lies? What, what is the veil masking? I want to suggest that there are three lies that we struggle with. I'll ask a psychologist and they'll tell you that all of us are looking for three things, significant security, and success is kind of like fundamental human things that we want. Security. Sometimes you may feel that you're unloved, right? You may have grown up in, in a family and just never felt love from your, from your dad or mom. And you have this, this deep knowing sense from as a kid that you're just unloved. You tend to feel abandoned and unwanted. You've got this thought running through your mind that nobody wants me. Right? You can be in a circle of friends. You can be with your spouse who loves you. And you have this thought, yeah, she doesn't want me. She doesn't love me, right? How many of you go through that? Or it could be that you're just not good enough. Maybe your parents had sent like, set really super high standards, and so you tend to feel rejected. You're not good enough. You always have to prove yourself. You've got this one that everybody's unhappy with me. Right? You're sitting at church right now, and you're thinking, yeah, Clint's like looking at me. Everybody's looking at me. 
the, you know, the speakers look at me, well, yes, I am, I am looking at you, because you're trying. <laughs> but I'm happy with you. <laughs> right? And you have this thought that everybody's unhappy with me. Or you might be thinking that you're alone, that you don't belong. Right? Maybe you grew up in a broken home, wherever, and you tend to feel detached, you're different, and you struggle to commit, and you don't want to form strong, strong attachments, because your thinking is, I don't need anybody. I'm independent, I'm my own person, I'm the Lone Ranger, right? And so these are the lies of the enemy that, that we struggle with. But guess what? Here's Jesus. He comes to the Father, and he gets baptized, he gets dipped in water by John, and a voice out of the heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wait a minute. This is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. This guy's done nothing for 30 years. All he's done is make furniture. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, the most that he's done for God is maybe he's made like a table or a stool for a rabbi. That's about it, right? <laughs> he's done zip. And the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Wait, he says he's well pleased before Jesus says, starts his ministry. You know, as parents, do we say we're well pleased with our kids after or before? Strange, right? The gospel's like so counterintuitive. Right? It's like upside down. And then he says, just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. And Jesus, and then 1 John says, as he is, so are we in this world. And then we love because he first loved us. So God loves Jesus. Jesus says, just as I've been loved by my Father, I love you. And then just as I am, so are you. So the Father loves you exactly the way that he loves me. Amen. So that you can love others Amen. the way that the Father's love Jesus, loves me. This is like this amazing flow. And you put on the new self. So you take off these bad glasses, you go to the optometrist and you get like a new pair. And some of us need it, right? When's the last time you went? <laughs> More than two years ago? Right? Some, some of us need a new pair of glasses. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Beloved, if you struggle to feel loved, he says, God loves you. He loves me as he loves Jesus. Because I'm beloved. Because God loves Jesus. Jesus loves me. God loves me. Like he loves Jesus. Christ has qualified me and is well pleased with me. Because God's pleased with Jesus. And I'm in Christ. And he's pleased with me. Or what about if you struggle to feel that you belong? And you're alone. Well, he says, I belong to Christ and I'm accepted in the beloved. That's why he says, this is my beloved son. He doesn't say this, my, he says, this is my beloved son. It's not a beloved, this is mine. Right? So you're loved, he's well pleased with you and you belong to him. So that's awesome. But the question is, and so here we are and we come to Forward Church from Seattle, kind of, as I said, this cloud over us. We've been struggling to have a baby for two years, and just our finances collapsed, and just this crash, this, this depression that just hit us. And here we are. And we're thinking, you know, I know these scriptures, we know this, right? But how do I get it to me? How do I, like, get it to flow into me, right? How do I appropriate this? For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lewis and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. And by the way, that is not Lewis and Eunice. 
just in case you're wondering. These are not like ancient uh, <laughs> Israeli scrolls that I've pulled up in photographs of, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is my, uh, uh, and they may be watching right now. Uh, my mother-in-law is in, in Florida, and that's my grandmother-in-law, so Ghislaine and Beatrice, Nana, then my wife and two kids. Yeah. And so how do we get, see they're, they're beautiful because you can see like beauty just like flowing through. I get extra credit points if my mother-in-law is watching. <laughs> so how do you get this light? How do you get this into you? Right? How do you get these promises into you? And so when you keep reading in, in 2 Timothy, this says you've got to fan the flame, kindle afresh the flame. So yeah, I'm like kindling, kindling, kindling. And nothing's happening, right? How many of you have done that? Right? I'm going to kindle this faith. <laughs> I see that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> right? We all like kindle away. Right, and it says, to the laying on of hands. Okay, just like lay hands on each other. Go to the pastor, please lay, somebody lay hands on me, right? Sometimes somebody just like needs a, right? <laughs> but how do you get it into you? But then you continue reading, and it says, now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. The crazy thing is, the word life and light are the same Greek word, photizo. That's quite weird. It means to shine and give light. That's where we get the word photon from. So God's light and his life, the same word. The word that, if you know, uh, if you've been at, at uh, Forward Church long enough, you know enough about quantum mechanics, right? <laughs> and there's something amazing that's happening here. Right? That there's this photon of light that is moving from Light to light, from Christ to us, and something gets transferred. Like how does, what, what does that mean? Okay, let me scare you with some uh, quantum mechanics equations, <laughs> right? You think, why did I, I thought I came to church, not like a science lesson. <laughs> but I want to tell you that if you've been at Forward, as I said, you will understand quantum mechanics better than anyone. <laughs> you know, I spent a number of years struggling through uh, quantum physics at university. I didn't understand it, and then I came to Forward Church, and suddenly, there's Clint explaining the double slit theory, and particles and waves, and I finally got it. <laughs> I wish that I got it years ago when I needed it for an exam, <laughs> but I finally understand it. <laughs> but there is something amazing here, and what you're going to see there is Schrodinger's equation in the middle there. Um, he was this uh, Nobel. He won the Nobel Prize in in 1933. And he's the father of uh, quantum mechanics, what Albert Einstein called, uh, exact words, spooky action at a distance. Niels Bohr, another famous physicist, uh, also one of the fa uh, fathers of quant uh, quantum mechanics, said, uh, if you're not astounded by this, you don't understand it. But what does it say? It says there are inputs, how things are now, and then there are outputs, how things will be. And you send that through this equation. So you send a photon through this equation. Right, you set up an apparatus based on this equation, a photon, smallest quantum of light. Right? This is the quantum of light. This is the smallest particle moving at a tremendous speed of 186,000 miles per second. You send it to this equation, and you should get a sense of how things will be. Wait, wasn't that the worldview that we just spoke about earlier, Tim Keller? Right? You want to be here, you're here. How do you get there? The problem is that quantum mechanics is all about probability. We live in this probabilistic, stochastic, random world, right? We do all these things and we hope for these outcomes. 
You go to gym, you eat well, whatever, you do your finances, you kiss your spouse in the morning, you're doing all of these things and you're hoping for these outcomes that are somewhat random, right? How do you get certainty? That's what you want, right? You want the certainty of what the gospel promises. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you bring all of these randomness, all of these probabilities, how do you collapse this into a singularity, right? Into truth, into a deterministic, yes, this is for me. I can appropriate this, whether it's healing or finances or love. Right? How do I receive what God has for me? And in doing so, how do I receive Christ, right? And let's look at that statement, for of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen. That's quite powerful, right? So God says, let there be light. So all of these photons shoot out at the sound of his word, his voice. Stacy over there, <laughs> right? Um, Adam's wife was uh, incredibly prophetic drawing that she uh, uh, did very recently, and I'm, I'm reading her blog. And she's got this beautiful sacred sketch of these droplets, I recommend that you check it out, these beautiful droplets of thought that she prophetically drew before Clint's sermon and matched his sermon perfectly and just speaks to the word of God and these thoughts just having this amazing resonance, resonance and impacting all of our lives. And that's quite crazy if you think about it because one of the weird things about photons is that they demonstrate something called entanglement, right? That photons affect each other even if they're a distance or time away. So if you do something to a photon, it'll affect another photon somewhere else, not just in distance, but in time. Now that's crazy. That means if I make a change now, it changes the future, or if I observe it then, that means the past has been changed. Crazy, right? Avengers Endgame? Anyone? <laughs> right? <laughs> but what does that say about God? That he's beyond space and time, that he creates the very fabric of space and time, that his very nature is space and time. And so what is that nature? So let's go back to those two statements again. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So working backwards, what's in God's heart? Right? What's in his heart? What is in God's heart that everything that we see, our reality emanates from? What's in his heart that aligns all of reality, that makes everything resonate according to his will and purpose and good pleasure for your good and for your benefit. I want to suggest that the heart of God is love. Amen. 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 Why? Because the Bible says so. That's why I can say that. <laughs> right? Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Phew, I, almost, I got it right in the first sermon. <laughs> for our sins. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. We love because he first loved us. You know, Clint always talks about that we can impact the world around us, right? Our words and actions, there's this kind of amazing resonance when you pray, when you pray in tongues, the change happens. Amen. And then he explains how it happens. And it's mind-boggling that the love of God literally rearranges. And we know that prayer works, right? 
But here's the mechanics of it. And just the, the magnitude of that revelation is, is amazing. That the love of God for us, through us, changes the world. It's a bicycle shop in Hoganville, and kids, like wherever it is, you're changing the world through God's love for you. But here's the crazy thing, right? So, the Bible says that you remove this veil and you look at the Father's love for you. Well, you look at the Father, right? And so we've all been told to focus on Jesus. Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus. If you want change in your life, you want transformation, look at Jesus, right? And so you say, okay, I'm going to look at Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to look at you, right? And, you say, right? and so we, <laughs> we're always looking, like we're trying to look at Jesus, like, where is he? I'm going to look for him, right? And we're fasting and praying, and we're like, out there looking for Jesus, right? I've got to see his face. Like, is he, does he have the veil? Like, whoa, right? And we're like looking for him, looking for this transformation, right? And we make it a work and an effort. But here's the amazing thing. Think about Jesus and Nathaniel back in the start of this message. Who was looking at who first? Right? He saw you, even when you were under the fig tree. Right? Even when you were under the law. Even in those lies that we struggle with, that blind us, the veils over our face, he is looking at us. When you were still under the law, under the things that you're struggling with, under the offense, the hurt that you have towards others or to Jesus. Right? That's something that I struggled with. And I hadn't shared this earlier in, this, uh, in, in the first sermon, in the first message, but you know, offense at Jesus was something that I struggled with. You know, seeing my dad die uh, as a family, seeing our, our, uh, my brother-in-law pass away that we were very close to, my wife was really close to. And, and Clint shared something uh, a few sermons ago he said that, let go of your offense against Jesus. That's uncomfortable, right? Like, first you have to admit that you're offended by Jesus, that you're hurt by him, right? As if it's his fault, right? And we have to release that. Amen. Right? And, and those lies have to drop off, because those are lies from the enemy. And then you look at him and you realize something, and this is remarkable, that he's been looking at you all along. Right? Like you're the baby, you know? I say, Jesus is not the baby and you're holding Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, I'm looking at you, right? It's actually the other way around. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, right? <laughs> right? You're the kid. He's looking at you. Right? He's got you in his arms. And that's how transformation happens, right? When you look at his love for you. And that love changes, energizes, realigns, fixes destroys lies, brings truth, heals your finances, heals your health, heals your marriage. Right? It's the love of God that flows from Him, His gaze towards you as you gaze upon that. Amen? You know, the one thing that we've got from some sitting in a uh, coffee shop um, in Toronto, I've got $3, we've got $3 in our bank account. Right, so, on the way to Toronto, my wife phones me, driving. I was hands-free, so don't worry, in case it's being viewed by Georgia police. <laughs> okay. Hands-free, yeah. And she says, you know, by the way, we've only got three bucks in our account, so you may not want, you may not want to swipe as much as you usually do. <laughs> okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and going to see my sister there. And uh, somebody asked me the other day, you know, how do you hear so clearly from God nowadays? And I said, you know, when, when you've got three dollars in your account, it's easy to hear from God. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> you seem so unstressed. You know, when you've got three bucks in your account, <laughs> there is nothing to be stressed about because there's nothing you can do. <laughs> right? <laughs> When you have 300 bucks in your account, you're trying to figure out how to make a plan. I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if I can buy that and sell there. You got three bucks, you're like, hey, Jesus. <laughs> it's all up to you, right? It's true, right? <laughs> and so there I am, and I go into this coffee shop, and the coffee is $2 Canadian, so I don't know, it's less or more, who knows? Who knows what they do up there? <laughs> but uh, to all the Canadian viewers, my sister and my mom are watching uh, from Toronto. And so, uh, there I am, and I'm thinking, man, what do I do? So I pull up, I think, you know what, here I am. Clint's just preached on Sunday. There are so many droplets of thought in there. It's called Second Cup Cafe. It's a chain in Toronto. I think, you know what, Second Cup Cafe, let me listen to a sermon the second time. And so I do. And at that point, something transformative happens. And... It isn't a case of just that it was an accumulation of listening to his messages over the last six months and just precept upon precept, just reshaping our thinking, reshaping our view of God. You know, I often thought that, you know, grace is unmerited favor, absolutely. But then how do I get it if it's unmerited, right? <laughs> I want it, but it's unmerited. So maybe God will give it to me, maybe you won't, maybe you somebody else, right? Is there like a system to this? Like, is there certainty to this? How do I collapse all of these probabilities into a certainty. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but it's also being sure of that, right? Being sure. And how do I take all of these probabilities, all of these things that we're doing, and then collapse it? And is it about doing or is it about being and believing? And so here we are, and I, here I am sitting and listening to that sermon, and suddenly it all just collapses into the singularity. <laughs> certainty, of course. Right, this is about heart transformation. That everything in my head, you know, I've heard about grace for the last five years or so. It's all great, all makes sense, but it's got to go deep into your heart. That God loves you. It's got to move from here to here. And yes, Clint's got all these amazing exercises for you, for you to be able to do that and experience that. And so there I am in Toronto at Second Cup Cafe doing those exercises. And God, you know what? I want to experience your love for me. I want to feel it. And yes, it aligns with the Word of God, the Bible, of course. But I want the Rhema Word of God to like go deep in and do something transformative. And it does. Just literally does. And sometimes the manifestation is a few days, weeks, months, it doesn't matter. The transformation is instantaneous, right? It might take, you know, uh, a few weeks for your spouse to see it, right? Hopefully they see it quicker, right? <laughs> if you're on the edge. <laughs> your bank balances, your, your creditors, whatever. Uh, for me, it was a few days, and suddenly just massive transformation. Just everything that God had for me, he wasn't holding back. That's the big thing, right? He's not holding back. It's there, right? It's not God holding back on us. Right? It's the wax in our ears. I did clean my ears, right? <laughs> it's the wax in our ears. It's the glasses that we're wearing. It's the lens that needs cleaning, and sometimes it's throwing away your glasses and seeing him, beholding him. Father God, I just thank you so much for, for this church. Uh, for everyone sitting here, for everyone watching online, friends in South Africa and family in India, Father, I just thank you 
that, that your love speaks beyond the, the boundaries and the confines of space and time and time zones. That the love of God would just flow through every single person here and listening. It's the love of God that transforms us. That those veils are dropped. The lies that, that we're not loved, or that we're alone, or that we're not good enough, that get dropped completely, that we are loved by you. That you are well pleased with us. That we belong to you, we're accepted in you. We are your beloved. Father, I just pray that these transformative truths would sink into the hearts of everyone listening. We just pray God's blessing over you in favor and love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool.